If you're an Amazon seller doing $500,000 a year in revenue and you're looking to save thousands, you need to check out our sponsor, Waldo. They provide a comprehensive solution on tracking down missing inventory by using their advanced card prep and software solutions. Follow them on Twitter at with Waldo. Hello everyone, welcome to the Dylan Sawyer Show, episode 15. Today I got my man David on. How you doing, David? I'm doing good, how are you? Good, good. DKS FBA on Twitter and Instagram, right? Yep. Okay, yeah. yeah, definitely go shoot him a follow. He's a G, how old are you now? Currently 19 years old. 19, you're in college here at University of Oregon. Yep. Yep, and, and we are currently on like the ninth floor, so it's like a nice little <laughs> study room. We got this. Yep. Little conference room set up and best like <laughs> podcast setup I've ever been in so far. Yeah. So this is pretty neat. The in-person podcasts are the way to go. They're just so much better. The conversation flows. And yeah, we'll we'll jump right into it. So how did you start your entrepreneurial journey? So um like it started when I was thirteen. So I collected a bunch of like Star Wars Legos yep. when I was a kid. Had like a pre-built collection in my room. And like once I built it, I kinda like just left them. So they just collected yeah. dust. And then one day I was like, maybe I could sell these online. So I looked on eBay and that um, most of these products were discontinued. Mm -hmm. So they had like aftermarket pricing. Yep. So one day I listed them on Facebook and Craigslist actually. And I think the same day, some like middle ma like aged man reached out and he was like, mm -hmm. I'll take all of them. So like he <laughs> took all my Star Wars Legos for I think $500 yeah. and gave me cash. And then I had like $500 saved up from like birthdays and like family members as well. Mm -hmm. And then I used that thousand dollars to start selling sneakers. So my cousin was like huge in the Easy Supply and like Ace.com yeah. when that was big, and he introduced like the whole idea of purchasing sneakers, selling them, and then purchasing like personals for yourself. Yeah. So um, that was really neat for me, just because he was a broke college student and he had like all the nice Easies, all the nice Jordans. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, "How are you doing this?" And he's like. I just buy a couple extra and then it pays for my pair. So Dude, I was that's, like, that's, that's what I did at first too, yeah. with the Yeezys. So I was like, that's really neat. And then I started out like back in the day, if you guys don't know, like Foot Locker had like raffles. And yeah. by two o'clock, if you don't pick up your pair, it goes out to the public. So like, um, I think around two o'clock, we lined up one day. He was in town, he lives in Florida usually. We lined up and it was like 10 minutes after two o'clock. So it was like 2.10 and there were 13 pairs available, I think, and we were like the 14th person in line. Oh. So like, we like missed out on yeah. like the Bread Jordan ones, and yeah. it was it was not a good feeling. So then after that, I did like online stuff, so like sneakers raffles, like in-store raffles, in-store lineups, and stuff like that, and built up a little bit of capital like through that, and then later on got into brick reselling. So pretty much like same thing we do on Amazon, yep. just like cheap shoes, and you just make like minimal margins on them, but. With StockX, there are no returns. So like, that's a huge plus as yeah. in, like what you get is what you get. So, and the cash flow is so much better because you get paid instantly. What was the first shoe you sold? First shoe I sold, they were a pair of Supreme Air Force Ones. Oh like wow. Black okay. mid top. I got them off of Supreme. I think I made $40 on it. Yeah, that's but cool. I thought that was terrible. But now that I think about it, $40 is actually right. So yeah. <laughs> it's actually crazy how like your mind changes. Do you ever regret selling those Legos back in the day? Do you wish you still had those sets or? Honestly, no, because okay. I think without that Got money- your journey started. It would have yeah. been really hard to like, I didn't have a credit card back then. I just yeah. used like my debit card and my bank account then. So it would it would have been a lot harder to cycle through $500 in cash compared to a thousand. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually really glad I sold them. Yeah, that's interesting because I still have all the Legos and stuff in my house. Like, damn, <laughs> damn, that's awesome. Yeah, so you were doing StockX, Goat, Brick, stuff like that. How did that translate into Amazon? 
So I did that until I was around 16. And I'm, after that, like that was during peak COVID time. And it got too much for me with school, with sports starting up again. Yeah. And I just decided like, I want to do sports. I want to like have fun at school and hang out with my friends. And that's when I decided to just like completely cut it off. And um, I finished my first year in college at the University of Oregon here in Eugene. And then I saw someone on Instagram, like my old Kicks Portland account. Yeah. It's like, it's really, it has like Twitter followers. <laughs> and um, this guy was killing it on Amazon. He was doing like seven figures. So I just DM'd him one day and I was like, how'd you do it? And he's like, it's pretty much the same thing we did on StockX and Go, yep. buying cheap shoes, just selling it. And it just translated to Amazon. So I like, Asked him how he first started and he said, I went to the Nike outlets, scanned everything, and that's how I started. So I was like, cool, I'm gonna go do that. So I did that, found Mouse's videos on YouTube, yeah. and then <laughs> watched those. And then eventually I bought his course. So like through his course, I met a bunch of people, and I think the biggest thing I got out of it was like the importance of existing on like Twitter and social yeah. media. And like while I did sneakers, it didn't really ex like come to me that I should exist on social media. I like kind of kept everything to myself. Sneakers is much more anonymous. Like yeah. people are not willing to share as much. People are not really putting their face out like that. With Amazon, it's the complete opposite. Like everyone's willing to share. Everyone's putting their face out there. Like I feel like I get tagged in a video like once every few days <laughs> of someone just recording themselves and saying like, yo, what's up everyone? Introduce myself <laughs> to the community. That never happened with sneakers. Like that was completely new. But what, what were you saying? Um, I think it's really fascinating because like, for sneakers, there wasn't really asking for help. It was like, if you knew someone, you know someone. If you know how to do it, you know how to do it. Yep. But there wasn't really like the opportunity of where you could go ask for help. Where you could be like, yo, I'm stuck on this. How do you help me out? Unless mm -hmm. like they're your good buddies. Like, But in the Amazon community, you just like tweet out like, yo, I'm stuck with this. I have like an ungating issue. I have like an IP issue. And all these people are willing to come in the comments, yeah. help you out. And I feel like it's just like the community difference between like sneakers back in the day and Amazon now is a lot different. And I think that's what I really like. And that's why I like pushing out content because like content that you make, content that other people make, it's great because like you find a way to help other people and you find mm -hmm. a way to like somehow like create like a brand or like a name around yourself. Yeah. And I feel like the inclusive community is so important. Yeah, and everything comes back to you. Like if you're putting value out there, you're sharing info with people, it always comes back to you tenfold, or at least that's what I've noticed. So what are some of the skills that you transferred from sneakers into Amazon? Because when I first started on Amazon, I was like, just finished doing brick flipping on StockX and Goat, and we were able to sell a lot of the same products, buying from the same places, just moving it over to Amazon and mm -hmm. making way more money. I think one of the main things was like the tr like the confidence with purchasing because like that's a good one. Like a lot of people, what they have on Amazon is like they're not comfortable with spending high amounts. Yep. And I think the biggest thing is like they wish they bought more. I wish yeah, I yeah. bought 100 more units. Yeah. I wish I bought 500 more units. But like with sneakers, it was like not the opportunity didn't always present itself. So like mm -hmm. when you had the opportunity to buy like 100 Air Max 270s at a great price, you had to go all in. You know. Yeah. So like I think that's like one of the main things that. I had like an edge over someone like starting brand new mm -hmm. was I had the confidence in myself to go deep on certain products. And like, yeah. I understood that like there were ch like times where it didn't work out and mm -hmm. I was stuck with inventory. It was like, I had to take a loss, but eventually like the confidence to go deep is so important just cause like you minimize like the, like the chance of like you missing out. And yeah. I feel like, that's what a lot of people like wish, like in Q4 especially. I wish I bought more of this. Yeah, I wish I bought more of that. Everyone says that when they're first starting. Exactly. <laughs> like the number one thing. And I just didn't want that to be the case for me. And yeah. I feel like shoes were the main reason why I built that confidence in myself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the biggest takeaway I got out of it. Yeah. 
100%, man. That's the same with us too. Like when we were doing botting back in the day, that's still by far the most I've ever spent on one product. Yeah. And it was bef even before Amazon, which is kind of <laughs> crazy. But now, what does your business look like? Are you still doing sneakers? What categories are you focusing on and what model? Okay, so I started Amazon in August of summer 2023. So got that rolling, did a lot of RA mm -hmm. and a lot of Nike outlets and stuff like that. Oh, same outlets. here. Yeah. And, um, and then I moved into OA after joining Miles' course. So um, right now the split is mostly um, clothing, accessories, and sneakers. So like probably like 30% sneakers, pro probably the other 70%, no, 60% is clothing and accessories. Then we have some home goods as well. That's good. So um, that's the split right now. But um, shoes and clothing were something I was familiar with. So mm -hmm. like I understood what kind of shoes technically did well, like the basic yeah. colorways, what types of models. And I think that's like, that kind of gave me an agile that kind of gave me an edge as well. Yeah. Cause like other people have no idea what works and I just had like a tiny idea what did mm -hmm. and I just capitalized on it. But I think the biggest thing for me was just understanding how like the software worked. Cause mm -hmm. like with StockX and Go, you just kind of look at the charts, how many times it sells, yeah. how many times it sold this month, at what pricing. Yeah. And it's not like, you don't really have to understand that much data. No, it's just like, you, you just kind of look at it yeah. and you just kind of see it. But with Amazon, there's so many different things, so many different data points that you have to understand. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is the biggest mindset shift yep. between Amazon, StockX and Go. Yeah, knowing the products transfers over so well. Like we noticed that as well. And that's why we drew in like only shoes for the first two years because we just had so much experience with those products. We were selling a lot of the exact same stuff. And now that you're in the OA mix, are you looking into doing wholesale or are you still focused on OA? So um, one of the main things that I struggled with was like management of time, just cause yeah. like time is so important to me. And just cause like I'm in college right now and I'm doing all this stuff. It's like kind of hard to do everything I want to. And I feel yeah. like wholesale gives me the opportunity to spend less time on the business and maybe on other stuff like creating content and other stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So for the past couple months, wholesale has been like the main thing I've been working on. Yeah. So a lot of cold calls, a lot of email outreach, like filling out forms online. How's that been going? Have um, you found any good suppliers? We're super close to two right now. And um, I think we're gonna lock it in the next couple of days, but nice. we'll see. But I'm really stoked about that just cause like, I have a lot of liquid capital sitting just cause mm -hmm. I'm waiting on um, spending it with like a good supplier yeah. and um, just being able to spend money easier in a way where that it could be reoccurring. That's what I love. And um, and yeah, that's what I've been a lot doing a lot. Just a lot of cold calls, a lot of like emails and it's been hard, honestly, mm -hmm. like wholesale is really hard. It's like not as easy as what other people think. Yeah. You just have to get out there, make the calls and take, understand that you're gonna get notes mm -hmm. and that not everyone's gonna say yes, but the most important thing is reaching back out, yeah. asking them why, and then coming back and asking again. Yeah. And How many do you think you've contacted so far? Like, when I first started, I first started out with like the wholesale model, cause that's yeah. like the first thing I saw. Mm -hmm. And in total, probably now I've reached out to like five or 600 of them. Wow. Yeah. Wow, okay, that's a lot. That's definitely more than I've reached out to. So are you mainly finding them like on Google? Are you using Smart Scout? Any other tools for that? Um, a lot of Google and yeah. a lot of storefront stocking. So that's like- That's a good one, yeah. I like seeing like the big brands that other people are selling and yeah. what's selling well for them at a high volume. And I like kind of like the idea of products that sell at a high volume, mm -hmm. just cause you have to get less of them and it's like, if you, one brand has like five products that sell like a thousand times each, like yeah. you're set. And um, storefront stocking has been really great for me just to like visually see what brands are wholesale, what brands are OA and how are they possibly getting them and like at what price. Yeah. So like I think 
that's pretty good just to, so I can have an understanding of what prices do I need to see on this catalog for it to make sense for me. 100%. Yeah, and that's the same with the Nike outlet too. That's why I always tell if you're brand new to selling on Amazon, go to the Nike outlet, scan literally everything in the store, and you'll get a feel of like what shoes are selling quickly, what prices you need to pay for them. It translates really well when you're looking online or for in this situation, looking for wholesalers. You can just see immediately like, okay, this one's pricing is not good. Like, throwing them on the shit list. Like, never <laughs> look at them again. But um, with those two suppliers that you're following up with now, what are the biggest like no's or like what's going to separate you from the competition? Um, I think it's just the way I present myself. So like yeah. a lot of people like I feel like you have to have confidence in what you're doing, and like mm -hmm. you have to clearly state clearly state your intentions mm -hmm. and their intentions as well. Because like pretty much it is just a business. Mm -hmm. They want your money, and if you're willing to provide value, you're willing to provide like funds monthly and have like. Good communication. I feel like they're more than down to work with you because, like, yeah. in the end, they want to make money, and they, like, in the end, we want to make money. Yeah, exactly. So, like, if we like, if we make it easier for them to mm -hmm. make money with like purchasing and stuff like that, like, they're bound to say yes. But like, the yeah. biggest reason why they say no to Amazon sellers is they're flaky. Like, yeah. they're not always like they agree to a PO, but then they say no. It's yeah. like they want consistency, and if you can prove that you're consistent and that you're legit, like, I think there's no reason why. They're not willing to sell to you unless they already saw on Amazon, which mm -hmm. then it makes sense. But most of the time, it's because they're not confident in your ability of being consistent. Yeah. And if you are consistent, I feel like that's what separates you. Just stating that you're willing to spend money with them and that yeah. you have X amount and that you're interested in these products. I feel like that's so important. The first email, the first call, like signing, like stating what products you're interested in mm -hmm. and how you're going to provide value yep. and how much you're willing to spend are the three biggest takeaways. I think yeah. that any new like wholesale person just start out with when they're calling. Mm -hmm. That's by far what we got the most from at ASD. They were just saying how everyone's flaky, like they'll, they'll put in a PO, boom, they can't get ungated, they want a refund. Mm -hmm. It's like all these little small issues just makes them think negatively of Amazon sellers, especially when they're getting reached out to probably 30, 50 times a day sometimes. Like they're just hearing Amazon, Amazon, Amazon all day. Exactly. And people are approaching them, they don't know what products they want, they don't know what brands they're looking for. They're just like, oh, can you send me a UPC catalog? <laughs> like people just want that right away. They don't even really want to build a relationship by that supplier and at a show like ASD or any other trade show we noticed that we're so much more successful when we come already with a sheet of products that we're looking for what prices we want to pay like the image of the product UPC uh, how much quantity we're willing to take so we're ready to put in orders on the spot which sounds like what you're doing with calling these distributors you're ready to do an order right away mm -hmm. so are you focused mainly on distributors right now or are you reaching out to brands as well so when I first started I do a lot of brand direct stuff, just yeah. like just to get in the door, and it's then most appealing at first. Exactly. Like, like, oh, I want to work right with the brand, but it's not that easy. It's not. And then I think the best thing that you could do possibly is to ask them who their best distributors are, or mm -hmm. who do, like an authorized like wholesaler for them yep. is, and then they give you their contacts, and then you reach out to them. Yep. And I feel like that is the best way to go, because then you're like at the top of the chain instead of starting from the bottom, because mm -hmm. like. On Google, you're not really sure where they lie on the food chain, you know? Yeah. But by reaching directly out to the brand and then they like filter out like who they sell mostly to. And I think that's really important. Just because like some brands they don't they're not willing to work with you just because you don't spend enough. And they're mm -hmm. like, but we have these authorized retailers or distributors that do sell these products, yep. reach out to them. And I feel like that's really important. And if you do get no's like with a brand, it's important to ask why. Like, yeah. why aren't you willing to work with me? Like, what would lead for you to say yes? And a lot of times they say it's money or like they don't work directly with like Amazon sellers or whatever, yeah. but stuff like that. But I think it's really important to ask why, 
just because you can get feedback by, like mm -hmm. about your performance, the way you approached it. And it's yep. like, in the end, it's mostly just sales. It's like, yeah. can you sell your brand and yourself to the single representative over the phone? And a lot of the times, like, it doesn't work, and you should try again, because like, you can get a different representative, you can get a different person on the phone. Yep. And there are they are just people at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. like, it's just talking to them, like building a connection, and you don't become like, that's pretty much it, yeah. Yeah, well I have a funny story with that. So the first time I ever did a wholesale order, I called a distributor, tried to go with like a script with all this <laughs> BS, like we'll optimize the listings, all that type of stuff. And the dude literally hung up on me after like 30 seconds. And then like a minute later, I called them back and I was like, I want this product, like 30K worth of it. And he's like, Boom, let's do it. Like that's all you need to say. And then from there, we've been I've been working with him ever since and it's been like over a year now. Wow. So those relationships can really compound and grow into something that lasts for years, which brings me back to what you're saying about managing your time and wanting to focus on things that are higher leverage and will be more consistent over time. Mm -hmm. So, how are you managing your time now with school and OA, reaching out with wholesale? Like how many how many hours a day are you working on your Amazon business? Um, I'd say like a good like 6 to 7 to 8 hours and how I maximize my time is like setting a calendar for myself. Like That's good. the week yeah. before, the night before, um, I have everything I planned out in my schedule. And then before I go to bed, I, need I to take a look at everything. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's great because like, say you have something at 8 a.m. Like yeah. and you wake up at seven, you're not gonna lay in bed for like 30 minutes on your phone. You're just gonna kick your sheets, hop in the shower, eat breakfast and get rolling, right? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing for me is like having a set time frame for everything. Mm -hmm. Like from like nine to 10, I'm gonna create some like Twitter content. Yeah. And then from like the, the other time, I'm gonna reach out to distributors. Like mm -hmm. I like having like a specific time blocked out for certain things. So like mentally I know what to do. Yeah. And like, I think the most important thing is to not overwhelm yourself, but to understand what you have to do instead of what you like want to do. So like mm -hmm. there, there's probably like two or three things in the day where you have to do. Yeah. And yeah. to bang out those first and then do what you like want to or kind of need to do. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's really important because if you like try to do too much at once, it's not gonna get done. Yeah. And it's really important to like really, really like not overwhelm yourself. Cause like Amazon, it is a long thing. And like you are in it for the long run. And mm -hmm. if you burn out too quickly, it could be like the downfall of your business. So like 100%. you want to create systems and habits that are sustainable that you can use over time. And that's like why I am so, so, so like what am I saying? I'm so like heavy on calendars because yeah. like there's like it visually gives you like what you got to do throughout the day. Yeah. And right now, most of my time is spent like calling wholesalers and re mm -hmm. researching. So I call them like during their office hours. So which is pretty much like nine to five Eastern time. So like, yeah, that's rough over here. It I is really rough. And I got class too. So like the way I see it is when I don't have class and mm -hmm. if I'm able to wake up early around like seven. I call them and during the nighttime, that's when I do the research. Yeah. Like write down their phone numbers and stuff like that to reach out for the next day. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been spending a lot of my time with and I'm trying to just find distributors and wholesalers where I'm able to spend large amounts of money mm -hmm. and make it easier to spend. Cause I know people that do yeah. and if other people do, that means I can as well. It's just, I got to spend the time finding it. So are you focused on any categories for wholesale right now? Or are you just kind of looking for anything that's good? Um, right now, Doing a little bit, a lot of health and household, mm -hmm. um, a little bit of grocery, and not really beauty. I started with beauty, but then Beauty's beauty rough. got too, it yeah. got difficult. Yeah. And there is a, like a little bit of a language barrier too with mm -hmm. it, but 
a lot of health and household and a lot of grocery because grocery is great because there's less returns. returns yeah and same with health and household if it's like a consumable product like a very very low return rate on something like that we found more success in like the smaller niches just because they're not getting as many people calling them mm -hmm. so is that one of the main things that you've run into it's just like they're working with so many amazon sellers already or they're getting so many calls a day sometimes yeah it's really mm -hmm. hard to get some people on the line like when yeah. you call them you like that's like what i hate about wholesale like yeah getting put on hold, transferred to this person, oh, transferred yeah, yeah. to that person. <laughs> it gets really hard and discouraging, but um, I have focused on those smaller niches and they are greater and better mm -hmm. just because like, you're able to like actually talk with them and they have time to give you just because they yeah. don't have to go to these other calls or do other, other things. And I think less competition is better in the end. And I think those brands are really good for people starting out. Yeah, so one thing that we notice with lower ASP stuff, we have, we're all prep centers now. We used to have a warehouse no longer in the warehouse. There's just too much work to be managing all this stuff at once. So we couldn't really find much profitable stuff that was under like 10 or $15 average sale price just because like when you're paying two to three bucks a unit and paying an extra dollar, that's like 30% on top of your cost. Yeah. So are you prepping yourself or do you have any prep centers? So currently right now I am like all OA in my catalog mm -hmm. right now. So I do all the prep myself just to save. And We're here in Oregon, so it makes sense. Like yeah. no tax on anything. It, it's it's good because like when I was in Savannah, I was prepping myself in Savannah, Georgia. We're paying seven percent on everything we buy. Like there's no categories that are no tax here. It's like if you just put a little bit of time into prepping yourself, you can save a ton of money. So yeah, I'm like huge on like prepping your own products at the beginning. Yeah. So like I feel like that's really important just because so you understand how to do it. Process, so later on, yeah. when you go find a prep center that you do want to work with, mm -hmm. I highly advocate. Like I haven't found a prep center, but I think it's important to go see what they do. Yeah. And like see in person about how they do it. And I feel like if you somehow understand how to do it yourself, you can kind of vet if they're doing it right. Yep. And um, personally for me, just because I'm at home, it's not like crazy volume where I can't handle it. And my mom helps for mm -hmm. free, yeah. shout out to her. So it's not like gotten to the volume where I can't handle it. And I feel like mm -hmm. until that day comes, I'll probably still prep myself just to save the couple thousand and prep fees a month, yeah. which is worth it to me. And there's and just certain stuff that you can't buy like with that extra prep fee that make it makes sense without it. Exactly, exactly. What, what does your mom think about all the clothes and shoes and stuff in the house? Well, my mom is like always really, really supportive. Same she, here, yeah. She always asks <laughs> like if I'm boxing some stuff up that I like, she really can't help with. She's yeah. like, can I help out? And I'm like, there's nothing really for you to help out with, yeah. like, thank you. And um, it's really cool just cause like, I love that my family's really supportive. Like yeah. if we get boxed in the rain, my dad, like my dad works from home. He's like mm -hmm. an IT consultant. So he like goes out, gets the boxes, puts them in our garage and like, it's really awesome because like they're really supportive and they like take time out of their day to help me out, which is awesome. And, and yeah, and Dude, it with that. It, it's awesome having parents that'll help out, especially like with the prepping and stuff like that too. Like my mom is just so good with like organization and stuff like that. Like I'd be all over the place. She'd be like, all right, you need to like sort this stuff out or stuff like that. So you're working out of the garage, I'm guessing, or in the house? Yeah, so like I've taken over my parents' garage three yeah. years ago when I first started sneakers. So like I went to Home Depot, got these like large like shelves and yeah. I pretty much made a mini warehouse that you have like this much like width to like walk through, just to, like pull shoes out. And now I just kind of converted my like, garage to a mini prep center. So yeah, that's good that it's separated from the house. Cause for me, we have a carport and it's just like, it's outdoor with just like a cover over it. So I can't leave shoes out there. Oh, and then yeah. in the house, I'm just flooded. <laughs> <laughs> so I have two big tables. I got some shelves and yeah. then like I, in like Q4, I use like Home Depot boxes or little yeah. boxes to like kind of organize everything. So like mm -hmm. this skew was in this box, this skew was in this box. And 
like I think one thing that was really different about my like first like Q4 operation was there wasn't a lot of FBM, and I think a lot of people do a ton of FBM in Q4, which is really important. Yep. You got to sell it in like a timely manner, but. I think that FBA during Q4 is really, really like vital yeah. as well, just because like you're able to snatch the buy box at such a Way higher higher. price yeah. compared to someone at FBM. So like for example, to everyone watching, like if you are selling a price for like thirty six dollars FBA, mm -hmm. probably FBM is probably like 32, 33, 31. Yeah, and it's easier just because you don't have to package it, you don't have to yeah. prep it, you don't have to label it, and you don't got to ship it. Mm -hmm. But with FBA, you just got to slide in a poly, like a, like one of those clear plastic bags, slap the FN SKU on it, and yep. you're sending it in. And a lot of times, I feel like time is worth a lot of money. And if you're able to somehow frame the time frame of being able to ship all your inventory in on time for it to check in, I feel like it's so important. That's what we do. And, yeah. <laughs> um, I spoke to Jimmy. Jimmy's also from Eugene. Jimmy, F, um, FBA Jimmy. Yeah, we've Jimmy. had him on the pod. <laughs> um, he really advocated when I first started out that I should ship everything in FBA. Yeah, and that is something that was different than what I heard from people on Twitter mm -hmm. or stuff like that. And I really took that into heart. So I shipped. I bought really early, like he said so, and yeah. I shipped everything out. And I feel like that's the best decision I made because a lot of times Black Friday sales are great, but mm -hmm. not all the products are available for sale during Black Friday. Yep. So it's important to shop earlier, even though you're paying 5% more, maybe 10% yep. more. It's important to acquire those products and have them on your catalog than trying to like save a couple of dollars on each product. Yeah, 100%. And if you even buy early enough, like we notice like a lot of like pants, hoodies, stuff like that, it's better pricing in like August or like maybe even early <laughs> September than it is in Black Friday, just because it's like not really in season yet. <laughs> so they're putting clearance prices, lowest of the low prices. And there's something that we bought for like 25 bucks, like thousands of of them and then for black friday the best price i saw it for was like 34 33 <laughs> and i was like yeah this is so much better buying it like way earlier and i'm not having to deal with merchant fulfilled packing all these individual orders so you did zero merchant fulfilled or did you do a little bit so i did a huge 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 like in-store ra run yeah um i think it was there's this huge huge sale where it's like the cost of goods was so low it was like it was ridiculous like you gotta be stupid not to like go after it so it was a one-day sale they clipped it after the second day and I traveled all around Portland, came up to Salem, which is halfway in between Portland and Eugene. Yep. And I spent the entire day just getting these items. Filled my car to the brim, trunk, back seat, passenger seat. That's like it was low kind of stacked up here as well. I'd put a couple bags like under my armpit. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was kind of unsafe because I couldn't see. Yeah. And, but those are the products I merchant fulfilled like mostly. And like mm -hmm. certain products where I could sell more if I had more like replens that I sold out of like on FPA. Like, that's what I purchased in store to FPM. But like in total, uh, maybe honestly, probably like maybe five to 600 products for FPM. So it's nothing mm -hmm. crazy. So probably like 15, 20% of your total sales or around uh, there? Low, probably lower, honestly. Okay, okay. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't that high. Cause a lot of the products I did FPM are lower, like ASP. SP, yeah, okay, so, makes sense. We did like no FBM, or FBM this year. We did 20, in 2021, we did a lot of FBM, 2020, uh, two, we did a lot of FPM, and then this 2023 December, we did no FBM at all, just because we'd switched from the warehouse to all prep centers. So I didn't really want to create a new system, just like in the heat of Q4 for our prep center to do FBM. It's just like, I might as well keep going all FBA, buy earlier, buy more stock, I can get better pricing, 
And what that allowed me to do was spend a lot more time repricing and effectively selling out my listings more. Mm -hmm. Because with FBM, it's like you're listing a bunch of stuff, you're packing stuff all day, like you're not really focused on like the pricing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I was able to reprice all my ASINs every single day, mm -hmm. all FBA. I'm getting buy box 15, 20% higher than some of these people. So there's just like so many pros to it. I was oh, like, yeah. no reason to merchant fulfill at this point. But it does make sense if you're a beginner and you're trying to like flip your cash quickly. Because um, we definitely did that a lot in 2021, especially where we had like a ton of shoes come in in like late November, and I sold them all like in a day. <laughs> that, that was Black Friday. We did like 70k that day. That's still still my best day, just because it was one model and all of it sold. But what I realized is that if I would have spaced it out, especially if I did FBA, I would have gotten a lot higher pricing. I could have waited like the peak of the the pricing was like December 15th, and I mm -hmm. sold it like two weeks early. Mm -hmm. So I could have got like probably extra 20, 30 percent on my money mm -hmm. if I had just waited a little bit longer and not sold literally everything in a day, which mm -hmm. was kind of crazy. I think like one of the biggest things with Q4 is like having a personal journal, like you said, Dude, of yeah. <laughs> everything that you notice. Like what yeah. do you want to know next time going around? Like, mm -hmm. did I buy too much of this? Did I like not buy enough of this? Yep. Repricing wise, did I price too high? And was I too aggressive? And what like if I raise like my minimums by two dollars, what happened to the repricer? Like, yep. was I still able to acquire the buy box? And I feel like those types of notes are so important. Just so like usually products are seasonal. Like mm -hmm. next year, like the same products are going to sell well and yep. a lot of the listings. So it's important to know mentally to go back through like what worked and why did why did it work mm -hmm. and what didn't work and what can I do to improve it. I yep. feel like that's so important and. One of the main questions I get a lot of times on Twitter is why is repricing so important? So do you want to touch on that? Yeah, sure, dude. I mean, it's I think it's right up there with sourcing. It's like the most important part about the business. And that's my philosophy now is outsource everything that's not repricing and sourcing inventory because those are the two highest level tasks that you can focus on. Um, that, that's honestly some advice for you. I would try and take some prep off of your hands just so you can spend more time doing outreach, more time repricing, more time sourcing. I think that's really fair because a yeah. lot of people on Twitter they ask me like, a repricer is supposed to do the repricing for you, but um, no, I you gotta that, change your minimums every single day. That, like, that is exactly what I'm saying. One of the I'm biggest saying. mistakes we made we were using GoOra at the time, and we just set like a flat 20% ROI minimum on all my shoes. So or it was just everything, and it was mostly shoes at that time. 20% is low for shoes. And what happened was some of the costs for the items were different and I didn't update it. So we were paying higher costs on some stuff and it was selling at 20% at that lower cost that we bought months ago for. Mm -hmm. So some, some of the stuff we're making 15% on. I was like, I cannot do this. Like I stopped right there and I was like, I, t I talked to a couple of really experienced guys and they're like, you need to set manual minimums and maximums on everything you buy. And mm -hmm. after that, I never made that mistake again. So it's not like a set it and forget it type of thing. Like you gotta be on top of it. Cause like, the buy box, like the way the repricer works is like it attains the buy box. The main yep. goal is for the repricer to attain the buy box. Yep. And it only increases the price when you tell it to and when it feels that like it is safe to do. So like mm -hmm. a lot of times like it just stays at the buy box because it fears that it's going to lose the buy box to someone else. Yep. And I think the main, main point, I t like the reason why I tell people to like manually adjust the repricers is because like if you manually adjust it, then it, the price manually adjusts. Then you mm -hmm. get instant feedback about does this price work or not. But at least you tried it because a lot of the times the repressor doesn't try the price because it's scared that it's going to lose the buy box. Yep. So I think it's so important to try and then you get instant feedback about why or why it didn't work. And I think especially during Q4 when prices are going up, you want to stretch out the extra like maybe one or two dollars for each product. And if you're able to do so, that could like make yeah. Especially when you have thousands of units or like hundreds of units, it makes a big difference. It'll help out the margin a ton. 
And it's just like the most important part about the business. Like that's something that every person should be focused on, like almost every day. Like if you have a lot of SKUs in your catalog. I, I completely agree. I feel like repricing is definitely the most important. Yeah. I feel like, I think Tom says this, he's like, repricing is like the highest ROI task you can yeah. do. And I completely agree with that. Cause sourcing, you can kind of like, you can kind of, kind of like outsource that pretty well, but like repricing is like, it's based on intuition. And yeah. that's like not something that you could really outsource unless you're really comfortable with that individual doing those high like ROI tasks. Yeah. And repricing is something I feel like a lot of people do keep in house compared to sourcing where they do like hire BAs and other like admin members to do so. But repricing is probably like the most important thing if you're starting out. Yeah. Understand your repricer and if you don't know, ask why. Like why does this do this and like why is this important? I feel like you should be asking that to whoever you're working with or people on Twitter. Mm -hmm. What repricer are you using now? I'm currently using Go, Go, Go Aura. Yeah. yeah. Okay, how, how are you liking it? Are you on the AI or are you on the normal plan? Um, right now, I am using 100% AI. Okay, that's good. I manually set my mins and my maxes. I was like, before their AI version came out, I used their rule-based stuff. So yeah. like, I told like the repricer what to do when this happened. So yeah. like, that is what I liked, but the AI version I like a lot more. AI it's, is like, so much better. Exactly. Like, I've heard a lot of good things about that. We used to use it before they even had the AI and I was just not very happy with it. We switched to SellerSnap started using the yo-yo feature. Is that something that they have where they like automatically up the price a lot just to see like what the buy box does? Mm -hmm. Is that, yeah. Okay. yeah, that's good. And like, I have like a couple like screenshots on Twitter, like just showing like the buy box pricing like increasing and yep. people love that. But I think it's really important just cause like you want to like test the limits. You want to see if that you can attain the buy box at a higher price. And yep. you should always do that cause you understand how like the products and like the numbers work and like Eventually, you can come back to it and then evaluate your decision. Hundred percent. So, what does your team look like? Do you ha like have any staff on any VAs, anything like that? Um, no, it's like currently is solo just a mission. solo mission. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm in the talks of splitting a VA with someone, and yeah. I think it's a good move on admin work stuff like that. Admin work, organization, and yep. then just like better organization of like online orders and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And right now, it's just me, and my mom. My mom helps me like maybe like half the time, like when yeah. I really need help. And there's probably like one or two people I really source with. So like, mm -hmm. I wasn't really big on like working with other people. Cause like coming back from like a sneaker background, yeah. it wasn't like very working secretive. with, it's yeah. very secretive. And like, if you find a loop, you're maybe sharing it with one buddy or two buddies. Yeah. You're not sharing it with like five or six. Cause like you're scared it's gonna get clipped. And mm -hmm. and the volume wasn't as high. I think that was like the main difference. It just stuff was not selling that quick on StockX and Goat compared to Amazon where it's like some of these items are moving thousands of times a month. And one of the main things I noticed on Twitter was there's so many people that are working in teams and yeah. they're working in like teams of four or five and six. Yeah. And the biggest like point is like, if they're working with six people and I'm working alone, it's six eyes on it's one thing while like, it's just me. Yeah. And like, they're bound to do better. And that's when I had to like really like shift my mindset and be like, you have to work with other people. And mm -hmm. that was like one of the main reasons why I made my Twitter account. And then yeah. at the beginning, my Twitter account like wasn't that great. And it's not like that great by any means right now. I'm still growing, still trying to like really find out what I want to do with it. But mm -hmm. um, I started out and I had like around 200 followers and wow. Pete DM'd me, Pete's flips. He was like, dude, you have to change your profile photo. <laughs> it was like a profile photo of me and it was just like right here to the camera. Yeah. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah. And, um, he was like, you gotta change it. People will probably are like terrified like if they look at your profile. <laughs> and so I changed it to like a photo of me like, in a bunch of boxes behind me. Yeah. And after that, I gained a lot of traction. Mm -hmm. And I think 
it's so great how like helpful he was and how willing yeah. he was to help me. Shout out Pete. Shout out <laughs> Pete. And I think that was like a huge thing that like helped grow my Twitter thing. And it was mainly about being consistent. So if anyone's mm -hmm. starting out, I think you have to be consistent in anything yeah. you do. Sourcing, like outreach, like social media. It's like you're bound to succeed if you're consistent. Mm -hmm. And if you go in every day and do the same thing and ask for feedback and find ways to do it better, there's no reason why you can't do well. Yep. And I feel like one of the main reasons why people do well in certain things is that they, they keep doing it until they make it work. Yeah. And I feel like that's my mindset for a lot of things, for Amazon, for social media, for like Twitter. I find ways to make it work and I keep doing it until it does. Yeah. And that's like what I'm constantly on the hunt for every day. How can I be more efficient? How mm -hmm. can I make this work better? And how, like, what can I do to like maximize what I'm doing? Yeah. And that's what I'm like struggling with every day is like maximizing my time. And just like, not really from a prep standpoint of like, I feel like, I don't know a lot of things about Amazon and like wholesale and all that stuff like that. So I do spend a lot more time than probably you do, like all these other big sellers do. And that's why when I first started out, I was like cold DMing everyone if I could hop on call with them. Like mm -hmm. asking them if I could like please spare like 30 minutes of time just <laughs> yeah. to ask them questions. Yeah. And I feel like those types of like conversations are so important just so you understand their systems. Yeah. How they think about the business. What do they want to do in the future? And I feel like those kinds of like perspective and stuff like that is so important. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what you did with me. And exactly. And I, usually I would say no, like 95% of the time. But when you put your face out there, you're recording videos, like people hit my DM all the time. No profile picture, no Amazon content at all. Like, yo, hop on call. I'm like, <laughs> no thanks. But when you have like, a bunch of people in the community who know you, you're putting your face out there, you're sharing your journey. It's so much more appealing for someone like me or another big seller to hop on call, just share some value, like share how everything works. Exactly, and I feel like those conversations go a long way. And Definitely. without that conversation- same, same with us too. Like we've talked to people doing like 10, 15 million a year and that like completely changed my mindset. It completely like opens your eyes to different things that you don't yeah. know about. It's like talking with people that are a lot more successful, that know more things than you do. Mm -hmm. It's really great just because you understand their mindset. It's like. The mindset of a person that's really successful and like a regular person is completely different. They're like, they're killers. They think about things in different ways. Mm -hmm. And just introducing yourself to them and understanding why they think that way and like how they think about stuff is so important. And I think maybe like that was my biggest thing in January. Like after yeah. Q4, to be honest, I wasn't like that burnt out, but I was like, I want to do other things now. And it was wholesale and it was also meeting new people. Yep. So I would go DMing probably like, Tons of people ask them if they would spare like 30 minutes of their time, love to talk to them, get to know them, and then maybe some, we can do something in the future. Yeah. And I think I popped on maybe 25 calls throughout January. Wow, just, that's a lot. Yeah, just asking different people if they're willing to spare their time Yeah, and telling them that I definitely don't know much and mm -hmm. I'm a smaller seller, but eventually I hope I can bring value to both you and me. Yeah. And I think it's really important to just put yourself out there and just because I was willing to make videos, create content, not create content, but consistently post on Twitter every day. Mm -hmm. I presented myself with the opportunity of meeting these people and give these people giving me their time. Yeah. And it's crazy how many people like reach out to you and they're like, I've been following you for the past four months and like, mm -hmm. like you're killing it. Like, yeah. I think it's so great just cause like, it could inspire them to keep going. Yeah. Like it could motivate them to do different things. And by me sharing my journey, I hope that other people can get started as well and just understand that it's not that like challenge. It is fairly challenging, but it's not that scary. Yeah. Like you just have to get into it. And a lot of the people, they're like scared to start. And that's that's what it was with me. It like took me like three months to really decide if this is what I wanted to do. But the biggest thing is to just throw yourself in there yeah. and then you'll find your find a way to swim. 
And I think that is what I really advocate for, for, for people starting out. They're like, yeah. should I buy this course? Should I do this? I was just like- open up an account. Yeah. Like, most people don't even do that. Just open up an account and get started. And yeah. everything else you can figure out later on. Yeah. And I think that's so huge. Cause like, if, you're, if you don't start, like you're not gonna get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And at least if you start and you realize it's not for you, that's okay, you can do something yeah. else. But at least you tried. And that's like my biggest mindset right now. I wanna try different things. I wanna mm -hmm. see if, I really like enjoying, like I really like doing this, I like doing that. And to really find what I'm really passionate about. And I feel like Amazon is what I'm gonna use as a venture to find other things business-wise that I'm really interested in and mm -hmm. that I like. So I found out personally that I really like content. I like talking to the camera and I like helping people.